Hey everyone, Chris Lombardo here from the Really Awful Movies podcast. A reminder that our book, Death by Umbrella, The Hundred Weirdest Horror Movie Weapons, is available on Amazon in soft, hard, and electronic versions. LA Weekly said this about our book. It's rich with context and analysis, gruesome, yet all in good fun, a celebration of the horror genre. It'd mean a lot to us if our listeners can pick up a copy, because we're really Patreon-averse and don't feel like charging our listeners, ever. Death by Umbrella makes a great gift for the person that has everything, with the added benefit of being, you know, totally legal. So yeah, on with the show. Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You know what you're thinking. Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right? All right! Tons of popcorn there. Yeah. And all you gotta do is go climb a tree to go eat it. <laughs> it was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Oh, good lord. It's. It's unbelievable. It's. It's horrible. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. We're at downtown Toronto headquarters. Here's episode 195, 1972's Don't Torture a Duckling. Lucio Fulci. Lucio Fulci, indeed. And this is a movie that was made uh, a full seven years before, I guess you would say, his horror breakthrough with Zombie. The reality is that Lucio Fulci was a filmmaker for many years before he broke out as a horror filmmaker. His reputation now is as a horror filmmaker... But that was a late career resurgence, is when he, be, when he turned to horror. The reality is, if, uh, if you look at his filmography, it's completely varied. I mean, the man has made ribald sex comedies, mm-hmm. he's made police procedurals, he's made westerns. For the Apocalypse, one of my, one of my absolute favorites, uh, starring an actor that was in this movie, Thomas Millian. He made crime movies, sort of like mafia type, police fumetti type things, contraband, brilliant. Uh, he also made movies for kids. He made some White Fang movies. So when he made Zombie, and that thing became a massive, massive success, at that point, it was all horror for the rest of his career. He had his golden period. Uh, he had his sort of trilogy, as you may call it, with The Beyond and um, The House by the Cemetery and City of the Living Dead. And then his, there was some sort of diminishing returns or whatever. He was a horror filmmaker for the rest of his career. This movie was when he was just starting to dip his toes into the world of horror. And this was 
probably his second giallo proper, his first being a lizard in a woman's skin. And he also made the psychic and whatnot, but then, again, come 1979, 1980, Zombie came out, and the reputation of Fulci, the maestro of gore, began. With this movie, it's a giallo, although it's not a straightforward giallo in the sense that it doesn't really have some of the elements that we come to expect from giallos, such as your black glove killer. Your but, urban locale as mm-hmm. well. No, but, but that's, that's this movie's benefit. Mm. It's a credit, not a debit. But there's some, you know, there's a little bit of police procedural going on, although it's more of like a reporter procedural. And it's a murder mystery, so it's a giallo. And Lucio Fulci himself has cited this as his favorite film in a very, very long career. Many people consider this to be one of Lucio Fulci's best movies. And for very good reason. It's a very good movie. It's the sort of movie that reveals itself not so much in the giallo elements, in the procedural elements, in the who did what and why are they doing it, but in a lot of the themes it explores. And there's some very interesting themes that are explored in Don't Don't Torture Duckling that sort of reappeared in some of Fulci's Fulci's later later movies. Now, before we get into discussing this movie, I just got to talk a little bit about the title. It was tradition, basically, to title giallo movies with an animal in the title. You had Dario Argento with his animal trilogy. You know, you had The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. You had uh, Cat and Nine Tales. And you had Four Flies on Black Velvet. So, all of a sudden, you have all these giallos with animals in the title. Again, Lizard and Woman's Skin was a prior effort by Fulci. This one is called Don't Torture Duckling. Now, if you want to take the title literally, there's not much in the way of ducklings in this film. There's a, a duck... Yeah, no, not even a real duck, an no. anthropomorphized duck. So, yeah, yeah it's a it's Donald a, Duck. It's basically a Donald Duck head. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the only existence of a duck in this movie. It's interesting because the New York Ripper is famous the for, callback. The, for the use <laughs> yeah, of a duck, yeah, yeah. and that's the voice of a duck. <laughs> yeah. But in this movie, not so much a literal duck, but when you think about what a duckling can represent, a child. Uh-huh. Right? Oh, rubber ducky, you're the one. Yeah. But not just that, but yeah. I mean, a young, a young duck is a duckling. I should have sung it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> a child is a duckling. Hmm. And in this movie, the victims are children. So as the genre of giallo dictate, we have murders, we have people trying to solve it, whether it's reporters, whether it's police, what have you. But in this case, the victims are children. So to me, those are the titular ducklings, the kids mm. that are getting off one by one in this small Italian village. Yeah, and I like by segue that, uh, you know, your standard, you had your psycho motel was at the, the edge of some, you know, crazy expanse of highway. This it looks to me like it could be Calabria, although they reference it. It's somewhere way in the south. They have this remote highway, and you you go off the turnpike or whatever it is, and you end up in this podunk, fictional, made-up town mm-hmm. that that becomes so enraptured with these murders that as as one would be today like it's it, it's a nothing place where nothing much happens and i like that element of of snobbery where you have like the townies versus like the big city folk from who are parachuted in from mm-hmm. abroad and the the journalist who's from rome who investigates and i like that us and them dynamic which is a hallmark of many a film oh yeah we well, always talk film. about the or the urban rural divide yeah and here we have sort of like um modernity, you know, the modern, bustling, talk about the highway, and there's, it, there's one scene in this movie where the highway is 
definitely use to great effect to sort of contrast mm-hmm. the setting of this movie with the rest of the world at large. So you have modernity, and you have new school, but then you have the old school. And in the old school in Italy and this, you know other European countries, they go by a different sort of logic. <laughs> and a lot of their logic is based on um, you know wives' tales yeah. and superstition. And that's another theme of this movie is superstition versus rationality. And, yeah, of course, you know, the city sophisticates versus, you know, the rube villagers that believe in um, curses and they believe in witch doctors and mm-hmm. bru- brujas, whatever the hell you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, and, or, and who are or, also competing for, uh, I guess, uh, the, the attention of the townsfolk with, I guess, that ubiquitous facet of living in Italy, which would be the Catholic Church. So you have, like, the local witch doctor... Um, who, you know, people are turning to when they should really be, or not should, but I mean, he's competing for attention with this priest and the representative of the Vatican. So it's interesting, these different dynamics. Mm-hmm. Establishment versus... Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's another thing that gets explored very, very deeply in this movie. I'm going to talk about it as we uh, continue this discussion. Uh, but, again, with the, one thing that's really cool about this movie is you, the real sense of place. Like, you really get a sense in this village that we're sort of like, we're not in Kansas anymore. Or we are in Kansas. In other <laughs> words, we're in this small podunk town where they go by a different set of rules. They march to a different beat, you know? I mean, this is a village where prostitutes have to drive in from the city, you <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. In order to um, sexually please some of the, uh, the male denizens of the village. This is a place where every woman, how can I put this delicately more or less, has looked as if they... I mean, they all look older than their, their years. Um, with the exception of one outsider, that being Patricia, played by the incredible Barbara, Barbara Boucher. Barbara Boucher, yeah. Who, German actress of some much-renowned, I well, guess. It was Miss Moneypenny in Casino Royale, among other things. Well, no, I mean, the thing is with this movie, is <clears> you have a trio of actors that are just phenomenal. Um, first of all, I mentioned Thomas Millian, and I mentioned already. Now, he is one of my absolute favorite... Italian genre actors. Yeah. He's in... I mean, his credits are enormous. He died recently. Died, I think, last year. Cool-looking dude, for he, sure. Well, he's a great mustache. Just, yeah, yeah. And he's, all, he's always been a man with good facial hair. Yeah, yeah. Beard. But yeah, he was in the aforementioned for the Apocalypse. He's done a lot of uh, spaghetti westerns. Yeah, one of the uh, Django movies, too. Yeah, he's called yeah. Django Kill, <laughs> although that capitalized on the title Django. He wasn't really Django. That was... Part for the course in Italian yeah, movies. Yeah. If you had a Western, let's call it Django. Because <laughs> Franco Nero was only in one Django movie. Campanero is another fantastic uh, spaghetti Western. He was also in a movie called Almost Human. And I mean, tons and tons of great movies. And he never fails to be entertaining. He holds the screen magnificently. Um, Barbara Boucher, as you mentioned, gorgeous woman. She was in another a number of Jellos, other than this one, Black Belly of the Tarantula, French Sex Murders. Uh, one that I saw very recently, uh, Red Queen Kills Seven Times. And then we have uh, Florida Balkan, who played the, the town witch. And she was also a lizard in a woman's skin. The other Fulci Giallo. And another Italian genre film of note, the, the religious horror Flavia the Heretic. So you have an incredible cast here of Italian, or not say Italian, European genre icons. 
Yeah, and with this, this small town aesthetic that this thing is set up, it, it's one of the reasons I've eschewed small town living for my whole life, really, is that I thought you were going to quote Cheers here. It's a place where everyone knows your name, and there's various scenes that reference this as, again, the whole plot is about these boys getting murdered, and they're holding a... Uh, a service in the local Catholic church for one of the boys, and one of the townsfolk says, well, I guess that's the mother of the deceased, says, one of the murderers is here among us, which is just great because, I mean, what's what's to say otherwise, right? Like, uh -huh. there's, nobody visits this place. There's no reason to go here. It's not like some faceless city where just someone can come in. This is one of their own who's doing this, so I love that as well. And, and also, yeah, again, what just... Although, there, before I have to interrupt you, I mean, mm. another hallmark of the giallo, of course, would be the red herring. Mm. And this movie sets up a few of them, right? Oh, yeah, love it, yeah. The most um, notable being Barbara Boucher's character, Patrizia, mm -hmm. the outsider. So, yeah, it's a little... Oh, and another being uh, Giuseppe, the town pervert, who just is... It just, you know, if, if he's not brought in for questioning, it, it was someone else who was, but it establishes him as like a weird creep, and he's spying on the aforementioned prostitutes that are brought in from God knows where to, to service these mm -hmm. village gentlemen, and he's, but he's spying a, on them. He's and not the only he, one spying on them, the kids are as the well. The kids are spying yeah. on the spire, so yeah, yeah. And, and they actually have a funny song where they rhyme, I forget what it is, but Peeping Tom, Giuseppe, Peeping Tom, mm -hmm. and that sets up this such a strange dynamic right off the bat. I didn't know what to make of this, yeah. first time viewing. So Boucher, Boucher is uh, an outsider, she's the daughter of um, a wealthy man who has this sort of modern village, <laughs> sorry, this modern home in this village yeah, yeah. that he built to piss off the locals. Yeah, yeah. And she comes to the big city and she's involved in a scandal. This is hilarious because the way she reads her mind is so... It's like, well, it was drugs. It was marijuana. Yeah, yeah. Based upon her marijuana scandal. Yeah, the sordid criminal past she, she has. She to this <laughs> village where she's to, I don't know, clean, dry out. Um, yeah, it's not really well explained. Clean herself. Yeah. Clean up her image. I mean, maybe she's have has a bit of fame in the uh, hideout, etc. She's actually being punished by put it by being sent to this village, and she's going crazy. She's just bristling under the um, oppressive uh, atmosphere of this village, where everybody is looking at everybody else. Everybody's judging everybody. Everybody has an opinion. And someone like her, this beautiful modern woman. Well, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, in the seventies, uh, Italy wouldn't be held as an example of uh, gender equality by any means. Like it's the country known for catcalls. Let uh, to a lesser extent today, although in the south you will mm. see that. But yeah, she is. I mean, yeah, uh, one of these city tarts who comes mm. in and she faces the, the brunt of all this attention from the, the townsfolk. And the other thing about Patrizia is that unlike most of the females in the village is that she is aware of and employs her sexuality. She knows that she's a beautiful woman and when we first meet her we actually <laughs> see her in the altogether. <laughs> yeah. And she's because where she lives there is some, I don't know, what do they, what do you call her, a caretaker, a housekeeper? Yeah, yeah, the, the mother of a nanny kind of yeah. type. The mother whatever, of, one yeah. of one of the kids, uh, mm -hmm. that would be, I believe, uh, Michelle or Michaela? Yeah, I, just, I, forget. I forget who it is, but just some local, I mean, the help, essentially. Yeah. And she sends her son up, and you know, and that's the thing at the very beginning of the movie, I mean, they're spying on these uh, prostitutes, and they mention, oh, here they come, they're, they're so ugly, but they have tits like melons, yeah. <laughs> and so, they, you know, they have this, like, they're young, they're probably about 12 years old, so they're 
just hitting that, you know, the burgeoning... Their sexual stride. Yeah, burgeoning <laughs> puberty. And, pu and this poor kid... Poor. Well, <laughs> You're the world's luckiest kid? Well, look, he's told to bring orange juice up to oh, the Gina. Yeah. And there she is, sunbathing, completely naked. Mm. And she's taunting the poor kid. She's asking him to come closer. She gets up. You see her in the complete altogether. She's asking him how many women he's been with. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a little sort of... Uh, I, I love this. As an Italian kid growing up, like, he, he, he's sent to... Bring her Orangina, which is, it comes in this little bottle. It looks like a demijohn that you use to hold wine. It just, I love this, like, little thing. It's just such a weird, stupid thing. He brings her the orange juice, and she taunts him and, like, teases him by pouring the juice down her chest between her breasts. Mm -hmm. And this was expertly, I would say, filmed by Fulci, because obviously the kid was not in the same room with Barbara Boucher. I, I don't know about uh, Yeah, I, I would say because they, they cut away that right that they, it looked like it was seamless. I don't think in a way that that because yeah. you would not expose a kid to full bush like I that. I don't know. Unless 70s, you were Italy, very negligent. Seventies Italy, Lucio Fulci. <laughs> I don't know. A man it, not known for his prudence on set. Mm. Honestly, a man like if the you know, the stories, the rumors of Lucio Fulci and his behavior on set are. Luckier, they this is true. Him. So I don't think. Well, one would hope with kids, he would have drawn way. a line. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he cared one way or the other. I believe they were in the same room, and I would have to rewatch the scene right now. But hmm. I'm pretty sure they're in the same room. Nonetheless, she taunts him. She teases him. This poor kid is shaking. Uh, she asks him how many women he's been with. He lies and says a few. He goes, "Yeah, right. Bullshit. Yeah, Probably yeah. none." Uh, but that's the thing. She owns her sexuality, and in the big city, whether it be Milan or Rome or Florence or what mm -hmm. have you, she wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb. But in this village, she is completely the outsider, the antithesis of every other female in the village. Another outsider, another, in the sense that she's different, would be Florida Balkan's character, who is referred to as the Witch. The Witch, yeah. Now she is given a name in the film, but I forget at the moment, Muchacha, I believe, or something. Uh, Majata. Maj yeah, Majata. yeah. And she is also shunned by the townsfolk because of her purported <laughs> dalliances with the supernatural. Yeah. Now, at one point, she's brought in for questioning. And she has an epileptic seizure. And she confesses to, to the murders. Well, yeah. she feels it by, by participating in you know, some sort of black magic rituals. Because she also has some grievances with the kids because... She, you know, she had a child, and the child was born deformed, mm. and they buried the child in unholy ground, yeah. and the kids were digging up the bones and so on. But the question is, is she really a witch with supernatural powers, or do they ascribe that to her because they don't understand epilepsy, and they don't understand... Oh, geez, I would hope they would have by the 70s, but it, does, Again, it doesn't but really the, matter. It's, it's, it's a red hair. Off. No, but that's the whole thing, mm. is that because she was an epileptic child, it's, you know, not knowing what epileptic seizures were, they probably thought, well, now she's being possessed by the, the demon, demoni, what have you. And so here's a child growing up <laughs> in this environment where they're constantly calling her demonic because she's having epileptic seizures, and she ends up believing it. She believes yeah. that she has this power that she could stick pins in these makeshift voodoo dolls that she's actually killing the kids. Yeah, the voodoo element was a little bit weird. Did they just uh, adopt that whole cloth from Haitian culture? I don't know why they inserted that. I mean, is it 
like that uh, maybe there's a tradition of that in Italy I, don't, I have no idea but I thought that was really neat well it's more black magic to me than voodoo oh, oh I guess but it, I thought it was neat that like, the cops uh, for all their bungling and Amanda Knox style uh, keystone police work they actually did press her on okay so how did you do it how did you do it how did you do it and she was unable to provide an, an example of how it was other than the aforementioned black magic as he said as to how she actually uh, committed the murders. It's interesting you say that because oftentimes in police procedurals and jails and whatnot, you get somebody who is wrongly accused because the police just want a suspect to placate the villagers, to placate the townspeople. Okay, we have somebody here who did the crimes. You guys can all relax now. Whereas these cops, they actually really, you know, right away when, when um, the town pervert, um, he says yeah, Giuseppe, Giuseppe yeah. or what have you, when yeah. he was brought in, they're like, yeah, we guarantee it's not him, and they mm. knew it, and same with uh, the witch, it's not her, they knew it, they, they really were looking for the real killer. Now, so that is sort of to this movie's credit, in that sense, in that the cops were not just willing to accept anybody, no. you know, these red herrings. Yeah. Um, now, we have... In addition to the cops investigating the crime, we have this reporter from Rome. Reporters often play big parts in uh, mm. Italian horror. Mm. Um, thinking of like Christopher George's character in uh, Luigi Fulci's um, *City of the Living Dead*. They're often <laughs> the ones who most of the investigating, and that's the character mm. played by Thomas Millian, who plays uh, Martinelli. Martinelli, and him and Patricia sort of join forces to also investigate what's going on. Yeah, I guess which, which seems natural because they're both outsiders. And uh, f for the duration of this, what you have is the two of them combining and sort of uh, trying to figure out what's at the bottom of this. Because what's interesting also is that the M.O. of the killer is different in every case, which is quite interesting. And I think, well, I forget the first murder, but one of them sustains a massive like lesion to the skull. Uh, another case, it's, it's a strangulation, yeah. and I forget the third one, but it's, uh, oh, I guess a blow to the front of the head. So the, this killer killer can't be tracked down by any specific kind of MO. Mm -hmm. So it's neat how they, this, you know, they, they try and uh, tackle this sort of who, what eventually becomes a whodunit. So we have the theme of... The old ways versus the new. Modernity versus... Um, tradition. Traditionalism, yeah. We have the theme of the influence of the Catholic Church. Yeah. And we can't delve too much into that without really spoiling... Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. almost spoiling things. The denouement, for sure. Yeah, so we're, we, we're going to just basically tiptoe around that, but that's very interesting. But... Yeah, youth versus age as well. Like mm -hmm. a licentious single young woman uh, uh, left her own devices in this town of five thousand people, where everyone knows your business. Mm -hmm. So many different things. Oh yeah, well that that too. I mean, youth versus adulthood. You know, i.e., purity versus sinfulness. And yeah. you know, you're you're when you're born, you're pure, and then as you age, you become so sinful. And there's also the the concept of sins pre-performed, which is very interesting. Yeah, well, you know, being the central of dogma sin. of the Catholic Church, exactly. you're born into sin. Right. And I always found that interesting, too, because, like, small towns, you know, obviously, yeah, you, they just empty out. They, they view outsiders with suspicion, and anyone who 
has any ambition automatically leaves. So it's just a strange dynamic that they set up with someone who's one of their own and someone who isn't and mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff going on. So in this movie, Fulci is taking some shots at religion. And of course, in Italy, the dominant religion is the Catholic Church. But there's something else. And this is not wholly original. Um, I viewed this movie uh, on a Blu-ray release, which is... Uh, Ooh, Arrow just Arrow. released it. Just yeah. released it, and I was sent the copy. So thank you, Arrow, Neat. for that. And then I was going through this, the special features, and they had a video essay. Um, I can't remember the name of the uh, the scholar, but she was narrating a video essay. And the thing about Fulci is one thing he's been accused of again and again and again throughout his the latter half of his career when he was making these horror films is misogyny and his treatment of women. Uh, nothing more exemplifying that than than the the, the wonderfully sorted the New York Ripper. The film <laughs> yes. we'll get to one of these we'll days. Definitely, yeah. But yeah, so. He was always accused of being a misogynist. He was always accused of being somebody who really had a hatred for women. But this this academic was arguing that Fulci, through this movie, was making a statement about females and about their place in society, uh, particularly Italian society and particularly overall Italian society. And she divided the females in this movie into three archetypes. One being the witch, of course. And that the archetype of the witch is, obviously, the witch. Mm. Um, what's her name again? Magiara. Magiara. Yeah. yeah. The second archetype is the temptress. And that, of course, being... Patrizia. Barbara Bucci's character. And the temptress is something very... Uh, a very salient um, archetype. I mean, look at original sin in the mm -hmm. Bible. You know, who is the original sinner? Mm -hmm. The temptress Eve. Right? That's for sure. And the third archetype is the mother. There's a couple of maternal figures in this movie. They don't get a lot of screen time, but they're important. You have the, some of the mothers of the kids, mm -hmm. and you also have the mother of the priest. Now, in this movie, all three women, all three archetypes don't stand a chance. In other words, in this town, in this patriarchal society, women don't stand a chance. And it doesn't matter if you have the maternal quality of the mother, if you have the wicked quality of the temptress, or if you have the, let's say, supernatural or blasphemous quality of the witch. They all come to bad ends. And one of the set pieces of this movie, I mean, this is not a gore fest like Let's say New York Ripper and then or the, Living Dead or whatever. New York Nipple, you could call it even too. Yeah. But yeah. No, but one of the set pieces is <clears throat> okay, so she's brought in for questioning, the witch, and she's released. So the town, this is another thing you get a lot in you know small towns. <laughs> the vigilante mob. Justice in their <laughs> yeah. own hands. And yeah. she's being chased through uh, the forest by a by a group of um, males. They're all males mm -hmm. to a person and they're they have these Dogs on a leash. It, it, it's almost like it reminded me of the Salem Witch Trials. They have mm. her cornered with these ferocious barking dogs, and then they take justice into their own hands. And they beat her in one of the most hideous, uh, hard-to-watch scenes in this entire movie. I mean, it's a beating that goes on for about six minutes, and it's pretty hard to watch. Yeah, flaying, 
F-L-A-Y-I-N-G with chains and just, yeah, and it gives you like an early glimpse into the, I guess, the sanguination and the, the bloodletting that Fulci would, you know, use most effectively in Zombie 2, but it was pretty intense. Like, she's surrounded, mm-hmm. they have two scenes where someone is surrounded. There's, yeah, the aforementioned dogs and the flank. And it's just the, the way the camera spins around and then it goes to the German shepherds and then to the woman and the face. Like, two of the most effective scenes were surrounded by the hounds and the, the flank by the vigilante mob. Just I- incredible. Mm-hmm. And really, that's, you know, this is, re- yeah, you could say it's restrained in its gore, but that was the scene that really... For Fulci. F- for, for anybody Fulci, else, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because the, um, you know, when the killer gets uh, his or her comeuppance, <coughs> that's that's a rather gory scene. Although gory slash ridiculous because uh, it's obviously a dummy. There's a couple mm. of scenes. There's a scene where you see a child, a child drowned, and you can tell it's obviously a dummy. Oh, yeah, yeah. But in the bathtub, for, in, the, in the one scene. So mm. I guess that's the drowning, and then face down in the river, where they I guess they took a sustained blow to the back of the head. Both qu- kind of hilarious, but yet... But the thing about Fulci is that he's so dedicated to his gore that I, even when it's patently ridiculous, he just keeps at it, that it gets effective. And I'm yeah. thinking about <laughs> the um, the spiders in the beyond. Um, at first, they look laughable. And when they're eating the skin, it, it kind of looks silly, but he keeps at it. And he keeps <laughs> at it. Then eventually, it's like, oh, you start to squirm. So that, uh, the, the, the ending, the sorry, the, the going near the end, sort of went from the ridiculous to the sublime, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, but for Fulci, yes, this is restrained. Um, it's certainly not indicative of what was to come in terms of his, uh, you know, using uh, blood on screen like uh, Caravaggio would use mm. paint, right? But getting back to what I was saying before about patriarchy and about this particular scene, so here we have the witch um, being pretty much left for dead. They beat her, but, they don't, but she's not dead. And she crawls to try and find some safety. And she makes it as far as the edge of the highway, where all of a sudden modernity is... Encroaching, yeah. And we have these cars driving by, and all she can do is sort of look on into a life that she might have had, were she not born into this village uh, and being accused of black magic and witchery, which she obviously does not have these powers that she thinks that she has, that the village has prescribed her mm-hmm. as having. So what we have going on here is a real critique of patriarchy in small-town Italian society, and it's also very much contrasted by the witch and her husband, not her, well, not her husband per se, but her lover, who is uh, Uncle, uh, Uncle Francesco. And Uncle Francesco is a magician. As well, <laughs> yeah. he has a reputation as being so. You have the witch and the magician. Think about that. They both are believed to have powers, but one is given the pejorative term the witch, and the other one is given the term magician, which is not pejorative at all. Hmm. They hold him in esteem. They hold him with respect. They they come to, see <laughs> to him a do, certain extent. Well, I mean, he's a source of mockery, but they don't. He, do, he, he does excuse himself to take a shit when the the, the yeah. investigator is in there and behind a curtain as well, which is wow, yeah, it just yeah. But he's not vilified <laughs> like his partner, the witch, and that's because he's a male. Mm, so possibly, in other words, yeah. if you're a female, you're going to be vilified no matter what, whether you're the witch, the temptress, or some other. But 
the males don't have to go through this sort of yeah he might process. be a lovable eccentric and she's uh, brought in for questioning as a, as a you know prime suspect so mm -hmm. yeah it just my god as an aside i'm just thinking of my own ethnic stock here this is i'm descended from these goat herders in this particular town this this is my my background. Uh, this is the the cornudo. This is the devil's horns. This is the the. Uh, My wife as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just it, you, you can't. It, it almost doesn't matter. Like the the geography. It happens. It's in the same. It happens the same way with the the U.S. It's just you know it's just the greater expanse. But you know Italy. Same way. You have your small town versus your big city. And I, well, I, I was interested. Italy that makes it very interesting is because. Religion permeates Italy. At least in the southern half, for well, sure. What yeah. they call the mezzogiorno, the well, midday. I, I Everything read, south of Rome is mm -hmm. just, yeah. I, I read recently that 80% of Italians are prescribed to the Catholic denomination, mm -hmm. right? The Catholic faith. So... It just nominally, yeah, for yeah, sure. Religion permeates Italy, but what also permeates Italy is a lot of old world values and customs and belief, and a lot of that... Sort of straddles the line between religion and I would say not quite paganism, but mysticism. mysticism yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of um, home remedies and so on. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, some of the stuff my wife is talking about, like putting <laughs> a potato on your head, you have a headache. Or, or, or my dad saying when when you were afflicted with some sort of whatever ailment you had, it didn't matter what it was, mm -hmm. olive oil. Yeah. You just guzzle a shot of olive oil. Or if a, if a woman is pregnant <laughs> and you take this uh, pendulum and put it over the belly, and whichever way it swings, that's how you know the sex of the baby. Oh, it's embarrassing. Yeah. But yeah, that's it's right. Yeah, have you heard about the whole thing? I've heard of that. I've heard of that, yeah. Or, or the red hot chili pepper <laughs> uh, hanging from the... Uh, <laughs> Oh, good God. The car visor? The, what, is, what is that chili pepper supposed to be? Pepperoncino is the name for it. Uh, no, I don't know what the magical properties it would. off evil Oh, my Lord. Yeah, yeah. So, it, Italian culture is rife for this sort of examination that Fulci is giving it mm. in this movie. And within the confines of the horror film, The Giallo, he has a lot to say about Italian society about the treatment of females, about patriarchy. Deference to the authority figure in town, which in, would be the Catholic Church. In, indeed, the, the influence of the Church. <clears throat> uh, the implicit trust that people put into the Church, and sometimes the blind faith that people put into the Church. Um, and this can, you could draw a line from that all the way up to a movie like Spotlight, where was the spotlight that movie um, with Mark Ruffalo and Rachel McAdams and so on, where they examined the Catholic Church uh, sex scandal in Boston? Were, yeah. Yes, uh, I believe so. Yeah, don't quote me on that. Though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it was a good movie. It was, <clears> I can't remember. Yeah, the other thing was Spotlight. I believe it came out about a couple of years ago. So incredible movie. I mean, just a, a, a good giallo, but really, there's a lot more to it than just who done it. For sure. There's for a sure. lot of Fulci is really examining a lot of salient points and themes, and maybe some of these aren't uh, apparent upon the first viewing, because um, I mean this movie is one that I saw many many years ago, and just revisited it for only the second time um, with my Arrow Blu-ray, but I remember watching it the first time, and all this stuck out to me really. I mean, in the sense of remembering, it was well three things: Barbara Boucher, her, her nakedness. 
the the scene with the the flogging and the uh, the beating of uh, of the witch, mm-hmm. and I remember somebody falling down a cliff. <laughs> uh, that, but I didn't remember it being you know having these themes, and or maybe I wasn't looking for that back then. I mean, you got to remember this was probably um, close to two decades ago, the last time I saw it. So revisiting it was an absolute pleasure, and I was able to appreciate it on many levels. So. I, I'm going to sort of askew what did I learn because I, I think I mentioned quite a few things that I've learned in terms of some of the themes and whatnot. But let me ask you, was there something you learned? Uh? Oh, I, I, his first name escapes me, but uh, Orzolani. The, oh, the composer. The composer Riz, who did Riz Orzolani, Riz Orzolani who mm-hmm. did the exceptional uh, House by the Edge of the Park. Uh, he also did, um, I believe, was it Cannibal Holocaust? Cannibal Holocaust, yep. yeah, as well. This incredible soundtrack. And. Uh, you know, uh, the beating and the flaying of this witch is almost like, you know, uh, Tarantino is, you know, stuck in the middle with you kind of kind of uh, set up where they have almost this, like this ridiculous soundtrack. Going, well, not ridiculous, but it, it's just, it, it reminded me of like Groove is in the Heart. It goes, yeah. do, 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 A little that, it was, it was yeah. up-tempo, and yeah. then it, it veers into this, like neo seventies soul thing, and it was really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that that was just an amazing scene. So I mean, oh, yeah. one of the many things I learned. I mean, well, know. Riz Riz uh, Ortolani is up there. You know, is one of the great uh, composers of Italian genre cinema, with your Goblins and your uh, Ennio Morricone. Yeah, his, Grammy winner as well. And so your yeah, Fabio Fritzis and so on. So yeah, I mean. Uh, maybe an, one of the unsung heroes of this film mm-hmm. is, is is Riz himself. Yeah, exactly. And as you mentioned, the incredible cast of uh, Milan and Boucher at Al. Just million. Million. Okay, yeah. <laughs> a Cu- who knew that a Cuban... Was he Cuban? A Cuban-American? He was a Cuban who became uh, some mustachioed star in Italy. It was just amazing. All I know is that uh, Thomas or Thomas, million... Thomas. <laughs> is, as I said before, is... From the moment I first saw him, and I think the first film that I really stood up and took notice for about with him was uh, Fulci's uh, For the Apocalypse. There's never... I mean, he is, his filmography is many. He's made at least uh, 120 films. And there was never a time when I saw Thomas Millian on screen where I didn't s- smile. Mm. There's just some, he was a star. This is a man that had... Just exude his star quality, and unfortunately, he never. Uh, well, you know, he never. I mean, he was in Traffic, believe it or not. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's uh, Oscar-winning movie Traffic, um, but you know, I mean, and for North American audiences, he's, he's his name is uh, doesn't ring a bell. But mm. for genre audiences, fans of Yellows, Police Procedurals, and uh, Spaghetti Westerns, we all know and love Thomas Millian. And uh, it's, it's sad that he left us last year because. He was, uh, I remember, you know, I'd watch interviews with him as supplementary features on DVDs and Blu-rays, and he'd be talking on his, uh, right up until his, you know, his, I don't know, 70s, 80s, what have you, and the man, I mean, I could listen to him talk for hours, <laughs> the stories that he would tell, and he was just such a charismatic person that, I mean, any story that he would um, regale us with, it was entertaining. You could talk about uh, going to the craft services table <laughs> on set, and it would be an entertaining story. Mm. So, love Thomas Millian. Um, having said that, uh, star rating for Don't Torture a Duckling. Whew. 
uh, one hour, 48 minutes just flew by, and I was a little filled with trepidation because I have attention deficit disorder and I like things to be under 90 minutes, but uh, I did not notice that this was a one hour 48. It just flew by. Wonderful set pieces, incredibly cheesy as is part of the course in the, this types of film uh, exposition mm-hmm. where anytime you introduce the new character, so is that the person who did this? And I just love that. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely yeah, hilarious. I mean, there, there were moments, so three and I mean, a quarter for me, but know, three and a half maybe. The thing about the Giallo, again, I mean, there are certain uh, trips to conventions that are somewhat uh, comical and they were exploited for comic relief in uh, The Editor, which was a film that came out a couple years ago, uh, which I I didn't really love. I mean, it was made by um, the Astron 6 Collective, and who made uh, Father's Day for Troma, and it was meant to be a loving um, parody of the Giallo, but I, I don't know, I just felt it was one of those parodies where they were putting themselves above the Too material. much winking, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Hmm. And, that, and it was over long, too, like some Giallos, but doesn't matter. Um, yeah, there were some moments that were kind of, you know, cheesy, like you said, you know, the, the heavy hand exposition and so on, but ultimately, this movie, I mean, I, I, Fulci is such an important figure in my filmic life, if that means anything, you know, <laughs> because when I started getting into this new world of cinema, you know, international psychotronic genre cinema, and, you know, the two names that, they're almost like, you know, Zeus and Apollo, you know, <laughs> was Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci. And when I discovered their films, it opened up a whole new world to me. You know, already I was delving into the horror with, you know, your domestic horrors and your Carpenters and your Romero's yeah, exactly. and your Friday Thirteens and, and but so on. But once I started watching the Italian horrors, everything changed, man. And, like, who I am today um, and my sensibilities and what I like and what I don't like are totally informed by these maestros. Oh, and I'm I not, agree. At 20 years old... Seeing a screening of Zombie Two, aka mm-hmm. Zombie, and having the uh, f- the guy who introduced the film saying this is the best eye gouging scene in cinema history, and I was like, oh, I was just so excited mm-hmm. and just so just thrilled to the tits about seeing that. And we'll throw and, Bob in there as well. Yeah. And I recently had the the absolute pleasure, listeners, forget about anything you've heard. Uh, I went to the cinema on uh, one of my days off. I saw Matinee of Mother and Darren Aronofsky, and what a movie, what a movie, this is something everyone has to see, I mean, this, it's, this is a work of audacious brilliance, and this is something that you don't see made today, you don't see a a major studio putting a movie out there with major stars, like Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, that could have been the Barbara Boucher's, and Thomas Millions <laughs> of, you know, Days Gone Yeah, yeah. and and oh, this film was, it was allegorical, it was profound, it was brilliant, and it was absolutely phenomenal. My favorite movie of the year thus far. Wow. And but the audaciousness of this movie and the confrontational nature of it all, and the fact that it was not going to give the audience an easy time. I trace this lineage back 
to these Italian filmmakers, these provocators, you know, provocateurs, whatever you want to pronounce yeah. it. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I like what, that, yeah. Provocateurs. Pro, pro, no, provocateurs, yeah. Pro, pro, Provocanocenters. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. No, we don't have to say it. Yeah, we're know? a little into the Our class. listeners know that yeah, yeah, exactly. when we record, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's the whole thing, is that when these filmmakers made these movies, they didn't make safe movies. They were not focus tested to death to leave you with this warm, fuzzy feeling at the end of the day. They asked serious, salient questions, and they made the viewer think and question their beliefs. Mother did that, and in a lot of ways, so did for its era, Don't Torture Duckling. Now, once again, um, if a Fulci completist will see many films of varying quality. They're going to see Fulci in his golden years, your zombies, straight up to arguably The Near Gripper was his last great film, although many argue that that was just misogynistic and completely baseless, but I think it's a great movie. I don't know. Everything that came after that was starting to be a very slippery slope, but they will also visit the films that came before the zombie, zombie two, and then you know your your whatever your your done with trilogy or whatever the hell they called it, and that um, <laughs> then they're gonna see Don't Torture Duckling, and they're gonna see the Psychic, and they're gonna see Lizard and Woman's Skin, and they're gonna watch them, and they're gonna say, well, hey, these are not the absolute wall to wall gore fest that I expect from those other movies, but the reality is that this movie is just as important in Fulci's oeuvre as, let's say, The Beyond, which is my personal favorite Lucio Fulci movie. Uh, so I'm going to give this, and I'm not even hesitating, I'm going to give this like four and a quarter stars. So the, the Beyond over City of the Living Dead and the uh, Fantastic Burg of uh, Dunwich? Yeah. Or is it it's a toss-up? No, right? no, The Beyond, yeah. The Beyond. Oh, okay. uh, maybe it's because no. it was the first one that no, I right. saw <laughs> of that after Zombie. It was mm. the first. But yeah, no, yeah. The, the Beyond is just, uh, wow. I mean, it's above and beyond when it comes to, like, I mean, <laughs> in a, Good. it's in my top ten. All-time. All-time, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Beyond, Suspiria, TCM, what have you. So, uh, and um, just to say that about movies I've seen recently, Mother, amazing, wholehearted recommendation. The new Chucky film, <laughs> Cult of Chucky, watched it last night, thumbs way down, Ooh, okay. fell, fell asleep, dude, yeah. fell asleep, couldn't even, I mean, I fell asleep and I sort of woke up for the ending, oh, okay, who gives a fuck, and that's the end of that, All so, right. that's, that's that, um, looking forward to seeing, I haven't seen it yet, uh, seeing that next week, mm-hmm. Mother is on my, on my list, obviously, if Darren Aronofsky and The Wrestler, I mean, how, Jesus, for a guy who aims that high, how could you be... Well, typical fanboy bullshit about the tendency to just complain about anything. But anyway, regardless, I'm gonna look. I'm looking well, forward to it. The thing about Mother is this: first of all, I can't think of a more audacious, confrontational, uh, mainstream American film that was released like Mother since maybe Requiem for a Dream. You know, Ooh. another Aronofsky movie. Excellent. Filmmakers don't go there. And the fact that he got a major studio to release this movie, I believe it was Paramount, is incredible. Um, the fact that audiences dismissed it uh, and the cinema score was F, yeah. you know, Fuck I have an F for them. Yeah, Fuck exactly. Them, because they're Philistines. Yeah. They don't appreciate good art. However, the reality is this movie was mismarketed. They wanted to get the butts in the seat opening weekend, so they marketed it as a Jennifer Lawrence straight-ahead horror movie. But it's so much more than that. And another thing about Mother uh, that I have, to, I have to mention is Jennifer Lawrence herself. I had never been 
that appreciative of her talents. I always thought she was a good actress, but I never thought she was a great actress. But in this movie, she was phenomenal. She carried the movie uh, in the sense that her... Well, I mean... I, I've only seen her in Silver Linings playbook, so I don't, I don't know what... Okay, so she, she's, she's, she's a good actress. She's solid. Yeah. She's, she's Oscars, sexy, but, too. Well, there, I mean, yeah, the new pictures notwithstanding. I just, there's something about her that... In this, in this movie, you will see her... <laughs> she does kids nudity. No, yeah, for okay. our listeners, you're which, gesturing profusely here. Yeah, yeah, which is rare for Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Nudity. Uh, well, maybe yeah, sanctioned nudity. Maybe she'll be, she felt comfortable doing it because she, mm. she started dating Darren Aronofsky as they're filming this movie. Ooh. But this is not sexy nudity. The nudity mm. that when you see her nude, it's a scene of absolute brutality. Um, what, okay, so what, uh, I can't remember what I was trying to say. Uh, <laughs> mother is audacious. Brave. This is the sort of cinema we need to be supporting with our dollars. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that it is has become the highest person horror film of all time. I, you know, I love. I mean, the source novel is one of my absolute favorites. I read it when I was 14. <laughs> devoured that 1,200 page tome. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I have fond memories of the Tim Curry starring miniseries, despite the terrible special effects and whatnot. <laughs> and I do look forward to seeing it, and it's the second part, which will be coming out in a year or two. Uh, but at the same time, if I have to choose between seeing it or Mother, I think we need to support Mother. We need to support more Ooh. courageous films like, like that. Now, there was something I wanted to say that I cannot remember now. <laughs> uh, it will come to you. It will come to you, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> But it has to do with just uh, mainstream cinema and uh, horror and whatnot. Oh, I, th- I brought up Chucky. Um, I thought it was kind of uh, lousy. Uh, yeah. The state of horror is good, though, I must say. We just need to support more audacious, challenging films like your mother's, and as well as your it's. You know, your crowd-pleasing sort of jump-scare film. Mm. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, so I can't say I'm just going by the source novel. I loved it, and I'm sure this film adaptation is fantastic. <laughs> I'm sure I'll love it, too. And for more, check out our website, www.reallyawfulmovies.com, and tune into our podcast, obviously, whenever we can update it, which is uh, twice monthly, and to the best of our abilities, more than that, but we'll see. We have a sort of flexible schedule, and we'll talk to you soon. And buy our book. Death by Umbrella, The 100 Weirdest Horror Movie Weapons, acclaimed in... Rumor, Scream, LA Weekly, numerous others. You'll love it. Trust and us. It will be acclaimed in your living room once you purchase it. Exactly. You will enjoy it. We promise. And if you don't, we'll give you a, a full refund. And we'll Actually talk to you not. Soon. We'll send you a really awful movie's pen. We have a, a surplus of pens. Or a t shirt. And we'll talk to you soon. You're going to pay for those t shirts, buddy. Fair enough, I will. Okay, I guess now we're we're fully in our cups, so it's time to go. (laughs) We're invested. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.